1: Pump man, you ready to go? I'm ready, dude. I was. A, it, it's so funny. You're wearing, I think, gray because my first question was, "Is black your favorite color?" Because uh, there was one time I looked at a couple interviews where you were wearing a suit, and I think you said, "Fuck this, bro. I'm just going no, gangster stuff." <laughs>
0: 2018. It was. Yeah, I uh, up until 2017 or so, uh, pretty much my entire career, I just wore uh, black t-shirts and uh zip up hoodies like that's like the silicon valley i thought it was like a steve jobs i'm not gonna do the turtleneck not actually steve jobs just like i, I think uh sorry when i was at facebook uh, everyone would wear black t-shirts if you were oh. a product manager and like it was just easy so like if it's easy and you don't have to think about it you just keep doing it and then in 2018 i was like oh shit, i'm gonna start talking to all these uh, uh wall street guys they don't wear t-shirts and so uh i remember saying to myself like if i'm gonna go in the room the only way to make them think i'm like them is wear the suit and tie, suit and, tie. and so then i would go on tv suit and tie i'd go to meetings, meeting suit and tie and uh, every day i put it on and i'd say like i got the costume on like i'm ready to roll and then once uh once bitcoin hit i was like all right, i don't need to wear this anymore <laughs> dude that's
1: the, it's funny you said costume because so in vegas i i made a, a a deal that i would wear a suit and tie every single day okay and i wore it for a year and a half mm. and it felt like armor after because i'd wear it from i'd be hustling all day to the nightclub at night but there's certain power to the suit and tie thing, you know, that I see, that I see it happens. When I look at your interviews, right, because I'm like, okay, I'm preparing for you, I'm watching your stuff. Everybody, like, they kind of forget the man, and they just want the knowledge. Mm-hmm. It's the vibe I get because everybody's like, the fuck, we don't want to know about this guy. Just give us the money thing, money. And I, I don't know if money brings that to people or mm-hmm. the investment side of that. When you're being interviewed, do you ever realize, like, dude, nobody want, like, like wants to know, like, my favorite kind of food or anything? Like, it's so intense, man.
0: Well, I don't want to talk about that stuff. I have a friend. Uh, we get dinner every weekend. And the joke between me, him, and our wives is uh, no chit-chat. Really? Right. What's the point of chit-chat? Like, I go places all the time. People are like this. this uh, whatever. I'm like, what, what's the substance? Right? And part of it is, like, in a social media era, there's actually a lot of chit-chat. If you kind of if you just scroll through an Instagram feed or on Twitter or whatever, people talking about all kinds of nonsense, right? But it's like when you find someone who's like high insights uh, per minute, you're like, that's the person I want to spend time with. And so when we have dinner uh, with this friend, but also in other uh, conversations of my life, it's just like, how do you optimize for insights per minute? And some people are like, oh, but I don't always want to be on, right? I don't want to be always trying to like learn and all this stuff. Like that's my hobby. Right, I live a real boring life. Right on the weekends, you know what I do? I read, I write. I like like that's that's what I enjoy doing. Uh, my wife, thankfully, is the same way. But it, like, I don't have some like crazy hobby where I'm like, you know what I want to do this weekend? I can't wait to go out on the yacht. <laughs> like, so we're not going like, to see pump at the clubs. No, no. <laughs> I, I, I to this day, I've been to one club one night in Miami. It's just like that's just not my thing. And the reason I went is because it was a business partner was like hosting the event. And so I made a deal with them I was like, look, I'll show up, but I'm only going to be there for 30 minutes. Right. I have friends who throw dinners all the time and stuff. And like the joke is that I'm only going to be there for 30 minutes. Right. I come, I say, hi, I don't eat. I don't do it. I just like, Hey, I, I want to be here. I want to support you. I want to, you know, meet whoever, uh, you think I should meet and all that. But like, I got other things I got to do. Right. right. And so uh, it's not because I'm like forced to do it. It's just like, that's what I enjoy doing. And so some people have hobbies that are, you know, really cool in other people's eyes. And some people are like weird. And I guess I'm just like one of the weird people.
1: No, 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 you're one of successful people, bro. Reading, right? What are you reading? Like, what is, um, what do you recommend? What is there? I know you have your newsletter that yeah. crushes it, but what is your like go to read things that you're so like?
0: So I claim that I only read one book per week. I probably read more than that. I, I probably like, one and a half, two books a week. Um, And a lot of times what will happen is uh, I just will see a book someone recommends or a friend will give me a book or like just kind of out there somewhere. If I see somebody recommend a book, I buy it. It's the one thing I spend money on. And so literally, you know, my office full of books uh, at home it's like piled up everywhere to the point where like, Mm -hmm. we got to figure something out here. Um, And I just pick the book that, you know, is sitting in the pile of unread. I just go through it real quick. And say, oh, that one looks interesting. Let me start reading it. And so it literally there's probably like two books a day that show up to our house. And when you do that, people are like, "Hey, like, why would you buy so many books?" And it's because like I'd rather have more books and then be unread than like get to the point where I'm like, "Oh, I don't have anything that, you know that I want to go read." And so from the types of books, uh, it's usually either books about people, it's uh, some sort of nonfiction like business type book, Mm -hmm. um, or I enjoy reading about uh, specific events as well. So there's books that have been written about, you know, certain years or or time periods or whatever. Uh, I don't read any uh, fiction books. Um, I'm just not interested in it. And then I have like a very specific process that I go through when I read the book. So uh, I read the physical book. I used to do audio books, but now I'm back. I just read physical books.
1: All right. Hold on. Let's stop right there. Okay. Marcus Aurelia book, which I saw you, yeah, with, yeah. which is a lot of people are talking about. Okay. So let's go through that. So I'm an audio book guy, mm-hmm. but the smart people like you, first of all, I should have, I should have given it a disclaimer that your smartness up here. I'm very down here, bro. So you're going nah, to have to, inverse. you know, <laughs> I'm telling you, bro, trust me, you're up here, right? I want to go through that process. So now you're doing physical, which is, the, yeah. which is the way it's meant to be, right? So that Marcus Aureli book, talk to me about that. Okay, so first thing you do, you grab it. Okay, now what yeah, do we so do? Yeah, so the reason
0: why I read the physical books is uh, a friend gave me a book about maybe now over a year ago or so. Uh, handed me a physical book and was like, hey, you should read this book. And I sat down and I tried to read it. And like, I'm not ashamed to admit it, I couldn't read it. Not because I can't read, thankfully, right? But like, I literally couldn't concentrate. I was checking my phone every two seconds. I was yeah. looking on the computer. I was like, put it down, let me go get some food. Like, I was just like, what is wrong? Why can't I sit and read this book? And I realized that like, part of it was like an, a, a digital addiction, right? Like I wanted to get on Twitter. I want to see what people were talking about. Maybe I'm going to miss something, right? right? Another part of it was just like, I didn't practice that skill set or like that muscle. And so I was just like, all right, I have to sit down. And I have to do this. And so what I used to do is I used to listen to audiobooks on like 2x speed. I just mow through them no way the problem is I wasn't really retaining a ton of the information and I couldn't go back and actually look at notes or anything like that because I'd be doing other things while I was listening I'd be working out walking whatever so I said all right I'm gonna like uh commit to the physical book so I get the book start reading I highlight and I'm very liberal with the highlighting like if I see something that's you know even par- partially interesting I highlight right. it. and then yellow
1: highlighter yellow different colors different colors yeah, yeah, yeah. what do the colors mean Nothing, nothing. Okay. Okay. No, no, no. Got it. Just, got it. Okay. No.
0: once it runs out of ink, but this is a science one. dude. Trust me.
1: People are going to start, yeah, it's going to yeah, be oh, the I pump know. strategy. So trust me, people, <laughs> people are constantly giving me, I'm doing
0: it wrong. Right. So I just highlight, i finish the book. I then go back and usually uh, on Sundays uh, are my big day. I sit down, I have a physical book and I go page by page and I physically transcribe every single highlight onto a Google doc. And sometimes oh, these are like, 20-page documents, right? So for uh, Marcus Aurelius' meditations, I think it was literally like 21 pages. And uh, I do that. Then when I get done with the transcription process, I then sit and I basically write notes. And the way that I write the notes is I put at the top, like, hey, here's the main argument of the book. Here's five ideas that I can pull out of this book. Then here's a list of, like, some memorable quotes that don't necessarily fit into those big five ideas. And then I write my takeaways, usually like three to five What was your
1: takeaway on the book?
0: I forget exactly all the things I wrote, but, like, the big thing, I think, uh, that you can read that book and read it thousands of years after it was written, and you have to remember, one, he's the most powerful guy in the world. Two right. is he wrote this for himself, not for public consumption. And three, it's all still true. Really? Right? And so you're, like, thousands of years later, and what you realize is, like, it would be tons of progress on technology and all these different things in society and civilization and productivity and all Like, humans are still humans, right? Right. Right. We all still sit there, and, like, we have imposter syndrome. We uh, get overconfident at times, right? We think that, like, the world revolves around that. Like, all those things that you're like, oh, I am so unique, and I am the only one who deals with these problems. Like, no, literally the most most powerful guy in the world thousands of years ago dealt with the same thing, and he wrote about it. And so I think, like, that's, like, a pretty interesting uh, component. But the reason why that process is so powerful is if you think about what I've done, I read the book. I have to reread as I'm highlighting, so that's the second time. Then I transcribe from the physical book onto the Google Doc. And then when I'm writing the notes, I'm reading back through. So I've at least read every single good part of that book four times. Oh, wow. And on top of that, I then publish now those notes. I used to not publish them, now I publish them. And then I read into like an audio recording what is written in the notes. So that's five times that I've gone over that. Oh, wow. I pretty much remember, it, you know, I might not remember the specific quotes but I can tell you almost every single book I've read since I started that process, what the book was about, what are some of the key components or takeaways and what some of the lessons are. And so then what you start to do is use over and over and over and over again, week after week, then you start to actually realize, wait a minute, this person's talking about you know, this topic and this person's talking about this topic. That's interesting. Why are they all talking about this same thing? And so if you actually think about, you know, let's say, uh, Bruce Lee, Marcus Aurelius, and uh, Robert Greene, Three people from three different complete times, you know, in history, that have different roles. One was uh, a politician, super powerful. Another one was a movie star, and one's an author. All three of those guys spend a lot of time talking about practice, and then you start to look at all these other books. and You're like, wait a minute, like practice is this theme that it goes through every single one of these successful people. Sometimes it's intentional practice. Other times it's unintentional practice, but by the time that they are successful, you can look back and you can see that there was a ton of practice. Dude, that I, I,
1: Let me tell you, I love that you said that because my number one thing with parents in sports, right? And you're a sports guy and especially in baseball is did you play baseball growing
0: up a little bit. I did.
1: OK. What position?
0: Uh, I was a catcher. Oh, my God. So,
1: I could tell. So you're sergeant of the field guy whatever is dealing with failure. And I tell parents, I go, listen, what's the first thing you do? No matter what type of plane you board, private, uh, public, whatever, first thing you go through is what? The emergency procedure, right? Because it's a process, everything's a process, but parents don't want to do that. Nobody wants to do it anymore because you want a pay and hack process. You want to pay and hack practice, but it's the reps that gets you there, man. Do you see that a lot as part of your success?
0: I think uh, in the tech world, there's two things that happen around like laziness. One is the best technologists are actually very lazy. And so what they're constantly doing is like, they don't want to do something, so they figure out some way to like automate it, write code, whatever. Right. So like in that way, it's like a positive thing. On the other side, like, yeah, there's a lot of people who are like, oh, all my friends, they built these big companies. Like, don't I just raise some money, close my eyes, wake up tomorrow, and like, then I have a billion dollar business? I'm like, right. No, right? And so I think that's less about any one sector. It's more of just like, in general, um, the society we live in. But also like, I don't know how different that was than, I don't know, even 100 years ago. Right. Like people still wanted, you know, some sort of fast paced uh, life. They wanted to to reach success quickly. And so if you actually go back and you look like a lot of young people didn't want to be tending to the farm, you know, where their father and their grandfather were. (laughs) They wanted to, like, go somewhere else. And so um, there's this great book called uh, The Rise and Fall of American Growth. And it basically talks about uh, it's like 1870 to 1940 or so. And how much progress was made there and so one of the arguments to make in that book is uh every single home was basically a self uh reliant home before this time period so you had no running water you had no electricity you had no connectivity of roads uh in terms of like paved roads and things like this and there's no density There was no telephones like you you go through and it's like you actually lived a very very isolated life and therefore you had to be self-reliant in terms of your food uh taking care of yourself your safety like all these things when you go through that time period now everything gets connected through plumbing electricity telephones like all this stuff and so now you can actually start to specialize so you can be the person who is going to help protect our community i'll be the person who ends up farming somebody else will be the person who creates all the wood uh, working and and now as a community we can actually coordinate resources we can uh, produce things but you want to know one of the most important uh inventions in that time period in terms of driving economic progress in america the invention of the elevator
1: Right, and yeah. you don't think
0: about it. And it really what ends up happening is like, you read this book and you're like, wait a minute, the elevator was the invention that allowed you to go up. So now, rather than have to look at a piece of land it's and say there's well, only so yeah. much you know density we can get here, when you can have the ability to go up, right. now you can five, 10, 20X the amount of people that can live on that piece of land. And so there's little things like that. It's always uh, obvious in hindsight, but like, guess how many people tried to create an elevator or some version of that previously? It's pretty hard. But then if you also go and you look, I've got this uh, huge book in my office that is uh, about 400 pages, I think, or so of all of the great scientific breakthroughs in history. It's like a a really, really big kind of oversized book. And it's all the graphic illustrations. And you go through and you look. And, like, one of the ones that's really cool to me is the original uh, firefighter truck was literally this thing that got like wheeled out. It had a physical pump on it, right? And it basically could help you put out fires. And so if you watch a movie or whatever you've mm-hmm. seen these before, right? But like this is the original graphic drawing of it. And you then look at like what fire trucks do today. Like sure, the technology's improved, it does the same thing. Yeah,
1: it's so cool. Wheels
0: over, it helps put out fires, yeah. and there's a pump, and, and like you like kind of get through this whole thing. And so like, in some ways, we usually think of practice as for individuals, but also as a society, we practice, and then we look at a fire truck today, and we're like, no, no, that fire truck only exists because we practice for literally hundreds, if yeah. not thousands, of years, and so I think that's just like a long-term trend that humans relearn over and over and over again. Is like, yeah, of course, you're not always right the first time, and practice ends up delivering better results at the end.
1: I love that, dude. You're so on like I, I and I and I wonder, okay, let's take you now versus Cardinal Gibbons you mm-hmm. okay back then, what has changed, man? have you always been this efficient have you been were you like the guy that was super cool were you messing around talk to me
0: I didn't care, I was a bad kid, like bad in, in the general sense, right like uh I didn't care about school uh when I was a freshman in college, my first semester I got a one point nine gPA uh I literally remember talking to the football coach and he was like uh yo what is going on here right and uh I was like what do you mean he's like how many hours do you study and I was like what and he was like uh well you'd, like go to the library how many hours do you study and I was like I don't know where the library is right I'd spent a whole semester on school I didn't know where the library what was. were you doing dude I was literally a 17 year old kid who had no one to tell him what to do I played video games and I played football
1: <laughs> what were you playing? What were you whatever, whatever. Like Madden?
0: It's like, you know when you're in high school and you're like, oh, I can't wait to get to college. Like, right. no rules. Like, literally, that's what I went and did. And they were like, hey, dude, no. Like, you can't play football if you go and you do this. And so, it, it's funny, right? Because the second they start to, like, put some structure around you, right. all of a sudden, I don't think I got less than, like, a six the rest of the time. That, really? But I was fighting out of a hole, right? Because I had the one nine. And so, you, like, look at this stuff and – what becomes really interesting is if I look back at high school, I was always the same person in terms of – I was always, like, scheming. I was always finagling. I was always whatever. It's just, like, I was pointing in a different direction. Right. My scheming in high school was, like, how do I do as least work as possible and still get by? Because I didn't care, right? Like, I was like, are we really going to have to know the Pythagorean theorem? No. I don't. Fuck the Pythagorean shit. theorem, bro. I don't care. <laughs> That's like the I worst all theorem. I literally don't care. But there was classes where they, uh, they would – have stuff, so like, I remember there was a, a, a US government class. right? I paid so much attention, I sat in the front row, I was yeah. like locked in, I was like, this is the real shit of life. Right? Like. like, okay, this is, this is interesting to me. And uh, years later, a kid, who is my brother's age, uh, texted my brother a, a photo, and he was like, yo, your brother is one of the answers in a multiple choice question for this dude's class. And so I was like, that, that's crazy and weird. So I asked my brother, like, yo, talk to the teacher. And he was like, yeah, he was like, we never could understand why your brother was a complete shithead, essentially, everywhere else. But he would come in here and he was locked in. And it was like, that interested me. And so when you think about it as like everyone who I am friends with who is super successful, they just are like, I can figure this out. But it's what are they focused on? So they don't give a shit about 90% of stuff, yeah. but things they care about, they are locked in. And so I have this like a uh, uh, theory that a lot of times whenever I'm facing a problem, uh, I call it jumping the chessboard. So a lot of people are like, oh, play chess, not checkers, right? Which, okay, whatever. But if you think about it, usually actually the biggest breakthroughs in my career have been like, all right, I'm on this board. What if I just jump off this board onto a different board? Like what's kind of the out of the box way of thinking about this? And what happens is like, that's what I used to do. I did it in high school, I did it in college, whatever. And so in high school, it's like, yo, I'm a junior, only seniors allowed to leave campus, how could we sneak off, okay. get lunch, and right. come back and not get caught, right? Or like I tell the joke all the time, the first time I ever skipped school is we went and we got the Lowell Wayne Carter II album, and then me and my friend, Cameron, we got in a car and drove back to the school and sat in the parking lot and listened to it, because we didn't know where else to go. Yeah. Like idiots. <laughs> uh, listen,
1: you haven't dropped that on any interview you've done. Pull it up. You haven't <laughs> talked about the little thing. I love right? it, dude. I love it. I, uh, big shout out to Mike Mendes, by the way. Our boy, Mike Mendes. He told me, you better give me a shout out. So I'm going to give him a shout yeah. out right now. He's fantastic. I, he's the best, dude. I want to. Mendes
0: wanna... fuel. I was on Uber Eats. Yeah. Let me start firing off some orders, Dude, Mendez,
1: I was there today. I got some water. I accidentally walked into one of his gas stations. I shot him a picture. and said, brother, here's your place right here. So cool, man. Your relationship with pops your dad, right? Mm-hmm. You're one of the guys that's known as Anthony, which is very rare. They don't hit you with the Tony. Right. But I think he's a Tony because they talk to Tony. How are you similar with him? How did he help you when you were being a shithead and all that stuff? Yeah. Was he, was he a dick about it? Was he cool? Talk to me about that, man.
0: Uh, so I grew up in a family of five boys. And so when you have five boys in a family, like, there's only one way to rule the house, right, is uh, there's no, hey, we're going to talk about <laughs> things or any of that stuff. And, and to uh, to my parents' credit, I think that they took very much an approach of, like, uh, they knew when to kind of put their foot down and, like, hey, that's out of bounds and, like, we got to kind of provide some structure. But also, they weren't uh, overbearing. And so, you know, again, we did a lot of dumb stuff, like. Uh, you know, I'm trying to think of like things that we would do. And it, you know, being a parent of five boys, like you get phone calls all the time, right? Right. And I'll I'll never forget one time, uh, my dad said I think I was a freshman in high school and he got a phone call and the uh, principal uh, of the school they were uh, Jesuit Brothers, I think. Yeah, uh, like yeah he, it's a big Catholic he's school. a uh, Brooklyn guy, so like literally yeah. roams the whole thing, right? Like, hey, can you uh, can you come show up? And so uh, he like went into the uh, principal's office, and they were like, uh, "You know, your son is uh, unique." And uh, he was like, uh, "Okay, like you know, did he do something." And they were like, "Well, like that's part of the problem is like basically he put goes right up to the line, and then when you turn around, he puts his foot over the line, and then when you turn back around and look at him, he makes sure you know he put his foot over the line, but he pulls it back. He pulls it back, right? Did that. And so he's he's not actually like, you know, he's not fighting or like doing anything like super super crazy but he's just like a menace. (laughs) Like basically, I think kind of what he was trying to explain. And, uh, you know, to my parents credit, I think they were just kind of like, okay, is he breaking rules? No, like, okay, yeah, sure. He's a little, you know, wild or whatever. Um, But a lot of my brothers were that way. And if you kind of fast forward it, it was the perfect way to kind of grow up where you're like, look, yes, there are rules, right? And you got to follow those rules. But at the same time, There's a lot of stuff that happens in life where, like, uh, I got a friend, Jason Williams, who always says, like, management makes rules, management can change the rules. Mm -hmm. And when you have that mentality, you're like, look, there are some rules that can't change, but Mm -hmm. there are a lot of rules in life. And so uh, one of the things that I always joke with uh, uh, founders about is uh, when you get the the invoice from a lawyer, did you negotiate? And I was like, what do you mean? I'm like, every lawyer sends the invoice expecting to negotiate with anyone who's experienced in business. So what do they do? They send the bill and then they expect, you know, 15, 20% less. But if you don't know that, you You just just pay the invoice, (laughs) right? And you're doing it, you're doing it, you're doing it. And then somebody tells you that and you're like, oh, there's levels. There's levels levels to the game, right? right? Like, okay, got it, cool. Now all of a sudden, once you learn that little piece of information, every time you get an invoice, you're like, bro, I'm not paying that. Right. Right? Let's negotiate. And so like. How do you pick up as many of those little things as possible as quickly as possible? And a lot of times it's just like somebody else figures something out, they're willing to share it and as you pick up little things here and there you share and like you just kind of keep people around that have a lot of experience. and I think a lot of it comes from being able to operate within the boundaries but having a lot of leeway in there to be able to figure things out. and you just start to realize like at the end of the day, everything's humans. right It's that. literally all humans. I love that. You're negotiating every day. And now I don't think you're going to go to, you know, Publix and negotiate the price of the carton of eggs. But I do think that there's a whole lot of other things in life that you can just literally talk to people. And whether it's around price, whether it's around uh, the way something operates or whatever, it's just that's how life is. And and, and the faster you realize that, the better off you are.
1: Pump football. Did you love it? Was that your passion? How how were you practice? Were you one of those guys that was trying to do the least and do the most in the game? Talk to me about that.
0: Um, so I had uh, two phases to it. Uh, when I was a, I'd was, never played football before. I, I think I played like half a season of tackle football. My parents were very much like, you can't play football until you're in high school. Um, and so I played uh, baseball and basketball my entire life. In high school, I think I was the only person in our high school that played football, baseball, and basketball. Really? Uh, all, every year until I, I graduated. Um, and I'll never forget, uh, I went to uh, freshman year. They had been like working out all summer, like all like there's like a whole pipeline, all stuff. I just like showed up, and my mom brought me, and she was like, uh, "Here's the football field, like go tell me you want to play football." I'm, okay, I went out there, and so literally I remember like one of the first practices, uh, you know, you're like a young scrawny freshman. They're like, "All right, we're gonna punt the ball. The punt gonna get practice. Like run down there and try to tackle them. Sweet, I'm you know above average athletic, right. and like I can just go hit them, like like you don't care. Right. Like no, that's the point. I'm, like awesome ran down and uh, a junior on the football team literally clotheslined me this oh, dude ej roscoe he was like probably like 6'1 250 pounds he just stuck his arm out and just clotheslined me wow. and i remember being like oh boy like <laughs> maybe next time lesson learned like don't <laughs> run into that yeah, game, yeah. Right? so you start to like learn very quickly and so my freshman year i didn't play i don't think i played a single down i only think i won in a game I never played football before i was figuring all this out by the time i was a sophomore i was uh playing on varsity um, and it was just like, I was just obsessed. I was like, how do I get better at this, right? And so I started working out. I started to go and do all the running things. I spent a bunch of time trying to learn from the older guys, like all this stuff. And so uh, throughout my entire football career, uh, I wanted to do everything. I remember literally getting in an argument with the coach one time. Uh, the uh, quarterback had gotten hurt. I was like, Coach, I can play quarterback. And he was like, no, dude. And I was like, Coach, give me the ball. I will play quarterback. And so there's um, a, uh, a highlight tape uh, that I sent out to college coaches where I pretty much knew at some point, like, okay, I'm getting good at this. Uh, and I, I don't think I, I – if I remember correctly, I think I tied the state record for interceptions in a year when I was a junior. Nice. Which was, okay, we're on the way. And then some kid went, and he broke it that year. And so I remember being like, oh, again, it's outside of our league, outside of this. Like, there's different levels to right. this. Um, but when I was a junior, that's when I realized, like, this is the ticket out of here, right, is I don't have the grades to get into some of these schools, um, but I started to talk to Ivy League schools, started to like Patriot League schools, started talking to the coaches at Duke, and uh, June Jones was at Hawaii, and like all these different schools, and I was like, oh, these dudes are literally going to get me into this school because of what happens on this field, not what happens in that classroom. Yeah. And like, whether it's right or wrong, whatever, like that's the way the system works, you better make sure you get into one of these schools. Um, and so I ended up going to Bucknell, Uh, And, like, you know, it's easy to go visit in the early uh, uh, fall when it's nice out and all stuff. And then you get there and it's snowing sideways and you're like, oh, shit, (laughs) what did I do? Um, But, yeah, that that was the whole thing. And really it just came down to, like, if I can get into one of these schools using this as the ticket, I don't think I ever was confused, like I'm going to go play in the NFL or anything like that. But when I did it, I I took pride in it. And so it like very much went from like, I don't know how to do this to like, hey, I want to be good at this. Um, And so it's something I had a lot of fun doing and it got me into school. So like it did its job
1: Dude, like I see you football, something where you're you're like head on a swivel. Right. Then you go to the military head on a swivel. Also, that's like crazy military life. Was it what you expected? Was it like, were you like, oh, my God, what am I doing? Or you like, Do you know what, this is going to help me in the long run?
0: There's no, like, black and white when it comes to that stuff, right? So uh, I was 17. I graduated a semester early from high school. Uh, I went to basic training. Because you were smart? Training.
1: So you graduated early because you were just smart?
0: No, nah, because I needed to get at it Really? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, funny, it's like, yeah, It's funny
1: you say, so I, I'm going to talk to a kid today. I Kids reach out to me all the time. I was a kid, 10th grade, his mom's telling me, like, he doesn't want to go to school anymore. You yeah. know wants to be an entrepreneur, but they don't know what it is, that. Yeah, it's, has hard, it's hard in
0: high school to do. So that.
1: Yeah. I'm like, but you said you had to get out of there.
0: So I, I was uh, a junior. I knew I was going to go play football. Like I had enough interest where it was like, I don't know if I'm going to go play at Clemson, right, or like at Alabama. I don't think that's going to happen. But like, I may go play at Duke down the street, or I may go to Brown or right, right. Or, or like whatever, right? And so I felt pretty confident, like I was going to go somewhere. The signing day is in February. But if you're going to graduate, you got to kind of pre-plan it. And so I went to them, and I had read a bunch about football players who had graduated in uh, December of their that senior reading, year. Dude, that reading, that <laughs> reading. And I was just like, that sounds cool. Like, why are they doing that? And it's because they would go to the college campus in the second semester of their senior year of high school. They would get a bunch of credits done so that during football season, as a freshman, it was a lighter load because they'd already done some of the work. And so it was like a nice, easy transition into college. I was like, that sounds cool. Problem was, uh, I didn't know what I was gonna do, and some of these schools, like Duke was a good example, they were like, hey man, we like you, I don't know if we're gonna have a scholarship for you, right. or you're gonna be a walk-on, right. like, we gotta wait the signing day to see, maybe a guy that we're gonna give a scholarship to doesn't take it, he goes somewhere else, the spot opens up, right? right? So I was kinda like, uh, 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 what do they call it, like on the bubble, if you Yeah, know. a little iffy, that's too iffy. Yeah. And so, I graduated, I was literally working two jobs, uh, Quiznos and Chick-fil-A, uh, and I was like, bro, I'm going to work every day. Like shit was fun. It was cool. Whatever. My friends are in school. I'm like, you guys are suckers. I'm yeah. making money, whatever. And then I looked around one day and I was like, Holy shit, if I don't get out of here, like I could, I literally, there's a 35 year old guy who's working next to me at Quiznos. And like, I'll, I'll never forget. He walked in and, uh, hit this big bandage on his hand and this this is literally insane. And i and he was kind of like one of those guys where you're like, man, like, we're, we're, I'll talk to you at work, but like, I'm not gonna hang out with you <laughs> on the weekends. And, uh, and I was like, what happened to your hand? And he was like, my girlfriend stabbed it. Or something. Like, he said something like something where I was like, oh, bro, you live a different life than it's me. Like, like, that's yeah. not even a worry in my yeah, life, yeah. right? Like, all right, like, I hope you're okay, but I'm going to try to figure something yeah, else out. Yeah. And so uh, there was a military recruiter who walked in. They had like these little pamphlets or whatever there. And I remember just being like, yo, what, what's up with that? And he kind of gave me like a quick pitch or whatever. He walked out. And so I ended up going uh, to see him. And I just remember walking in and be like, yo, y'all need help? <laughs> <laughs> and being like, yeah, dude, this is a recruiting station. Like, we definitely yeah. should talk. Right. And at the time, they were paying $20,000 signing bonus for anyone who joined. I was a 17-year-old kid. I was like, You're going to pay me $20,000 to go shoot guns, jump out of planes. Like, go. And get Done. in
1: shape, stay in shape. The whole. But
0: thing. your parents got to sign off. Oh. Went to my dad. He was like bro I ain't making this decision go talk to your mom and at first she was like very against it but I think she kind of warmed up to the idea of like it's gonna be discipline you're gonna get all the structure whatever and we figured out how I could go do it and still be able to go to school in the fall for uh freshman year so I did that uh freshman sophomore year everything's fine but I'm doing football I'm going to school and then I've got to do the reserve duty which is like kind of a little bit of a nightmare, right? So sometimes I would go like Friday to reserve duty, then go to practice Friday night, then go to the game on Saturday, then after the game, go to the reserve duty, and then wow. on Sunday, go to the reserve duty. It was just like a, it was a nightmare. Um, and so I go through all that. Then when I was a junior, uh, two weeks into school, they call me, and they're like, yo, you're going to Iraq. And I was like, yeah, I'll catch y'all later. Like, good luck, right? Like, let me know how it goes. Send me photos. Nope, you're going. And uh, I had a withdraw from school, got deployed, spent a year over there, came back, Uh, three semesters had passed and now all my friends were leaving school. Wow. Right. So they're all graduating. I'm now back on campus and I always credit, uh, there's a lot of guys that I went over there with who, uh, there's like three buckets. Some guys, you know, did fine in transition back. Some guys were real, real screwed up. And then there's this like middle group where like, it wasn't super easy, but they, they kind of got through it. And I ended up being in the group of like, it was a pretty easy transition back. But in hindsight, I went from. A group of guys all wear uniform combat, you know, combat sport type uh, situation, very much us versus them, like all these different things to then into the military. They just give you a gun essentially. Right. But like very similar dynamics. Right. And then there was like almost like a, 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 a off ramp. In the same way because I went back to play football. So, again, I went back. They basically just took the guns out of our hands, and they were like, hey, here's your uniform. Here's a group of guys. It's you versus them. It's this, like, violent sport, whatever, and then you kind of go into society. And so, in hindsight, that was, like, a really, really helpful thing for me. But that experience was probably the single most powerful uh, kind of experience I had because what you realize is, like, I was 20 years old when I, went, I turned 21 over there. I'm there with, like, uh, men. Right, like these dudes are, are they got mortgages and kids and wives, and like all this stuff. I'm like, dude, I was worried about what party is gonna happen on yeah, Friday night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what do you mean a mortgage? Yeah. And they're like, bro, this is real life. Like, kind of, you know, get get up, get up with it. And so when I went back to school, I took it very seriously then. Um, and that's when I was like, oh shit, all these kids run around, you know, just getting drunk all the time, and everything. Like, I want to have fun too, but like, there's something after this. I got a shot clock here. I better figure something out.
1: The the talent you have for finance and all that did you know that was coming did that are you just applying the same principles to this thing now how did how did that treat you because you're like the guy bro and people like i said people don't small talk you it's literally hey we we have our man pump here and it's like pump give us information (laughs) we'll predict talk to me about that man how did how did you start getting comfortable in that what what intrigued you about that
0: i literally just read a lot and i talked to a lot of people and just the faster i could do that with high quality information uh you just learn it right um and so a lot of times people hear me like say all this data or whatever and they're like how do you know that i'm like well i read it somewhere you read it. right or i knew someone i was talking to them and they told me about it when i found it or whatever and then i think i just have a really good memory um i have no clue why but like i can remember very specific data points and facts and i could literally tell you the exact month that inflation went over five percent how long it's been above five percent like all this like crazy stuff But it's not like a a photographic memory or anything. It's just that like when you care about something, you remember it, right? And so I'm fascinated by how all this stuff works. And then I think that when you take somebody who has like, I'm not smarter than anyone else when it comes to the information. I just read a lot, talk to a lot of people and I'm able to retain it. But then I've been willing to make a number of like pretty contrarian bets and say it publicly. There's plenty of people who make tons of, you know, kind of against the grain bets, if you will but they won't go on Twitter and talk about it, right? right? And then when, you know, take Bitcoin as an example, when it crashes, they all disappear. It's like rats when the lights get turned on, they just run away, right? And you know, in 2018, this past year as well, like I'm happy to talk about it, right? And if I'm wrong and I think I'm wrong, I'll just say, hey, yeah, I was wrong on that. Okay, let's move on to the next thing, right? Right. If I don't think I'm wrong, but everyone else does, I love that. That's a good, right? Because that's where the opportunity is. And so um, I've told this story before, but. There's a guy on Wall Street, legend, managed over $100 billion, uh, built this massive asset management firm. Everyone respects, you know, when he talks, they listen. And I went to go see him in 2018 uh, with my friend Mark Yusko, and I'm sitting there talking to this guy. 15-minute meeting. We're talking about Bitcoin. He, he don't give a shit. Like, he's just like, yep, nice to meet you. Okay, great. Basically took the meeting because of Mark, right? Talking to him about his kids or whatever. He goes, okay, thanks so much. We'll <laughs> think about it. Like, see you later. And we walked outside and I could tell that Mark was a little bummed and, and I was like, you good? And he was like, "He was like, yeah, you know, I thought he was going to be more excited about it. And I was like, no, Mark, I, I, I'm pumped right now. That's the opportunity. This dude is the old guard. He doesn't think this is going to work. Yeah, I don't see it. If it works, that's where the new folks can come in and 100%. arbitrage this before yeah, yeah, yeah. he ends up figuring it out. And so you just got to have a balance between like, you got to understand the, the fundamentals and the principles of, of timeless investing and all that stuff. But if you also can then be kind of in tune with some of the new stuff, you just kind of sit and straddle that line. And so I, I say that people between the ages of like 28 and 40, probably like we didn't have cell phones growing up, but we got them in high school. So we got them literally close enough to the point where like we could use them. Yeah. But I remember... life on AOL and my mom and dad are like get the hell off the internet I'm trying my friend's supposed to call me right right? or vice versa like so it's just I I don't know it's just timing and just use what you have you know to your advantage
1: dude to now that you have like Elon (laughs) retweeting you or talking to that when that happens are you like holy shit Or are you like it's about time
0: no definitely not about time Um, no I mean look it's uh, you know what Elon's probably doing when he does that probably taking a shit right right <laughs> like guess what everyone does it right? right they're playing on their phone they're in the bathroom right. or whatever then they are like waiting at uh in an elevator they won't talk to anybody mm-hmm. so you just pull out your phone like it's become this like uh uh like veil where now you don't have to interact with people in public right. you just right. pull out your right. phone right you're waiting in line at the coffee shop pull out your phone pull out your phone right, right? That's probably what he's doing, right? Right, Is he's got a couple minutes, he's like bored or whatever, so he just pulls out his phone, he scrolls through and he and he retweets it or whatever. And so um, I, I, I tend to think that like we over-index on how important these people are online, but we under-index how important they are in like the real world. So if you think of Elon's a perfect example. Everyone is obsessed with Elon on Twitter and like did he reply, did he do this, this, whatever. Like who cares, nobody cares about that, right? right. In, in actual reality, but in the real world, Like the dude is the goat. I went and I looked at the numbers. He has averaged a multi-billion dollar company every single five and a half years for 30 years. Yeah. It's insane, right? No one in history has ever done this before. And so when you look at that, you're like, man, we should probably celebrate more what he's actually doing in the real world and care less about like what tweet he had or whatever. Yeah, of course. And you just go across all these industries, it's the same thing. And so you just gotta remember like Twitter's not real life, Instagram's not real life, whatever. Use it, use it as a tool, But be able to put the tool down, right? Which goes back to kind of being able to, literally, I I have this challenge to people. I say, take a physical book, sit down for one hour, don't touch your phone. And be honest with yourself, could you do it? Most people can't.
1: That's hard. You said in an interview once that to reach strange strange people, weird people, you can't be serious. Your ability to enter social media and be you, right? Not too many people can do that.
0: Because they're scared.
1: Cause they're scared, they don't wanna be vulnerable, whatever. Have you been scared before? Did you talk to you? and say, listen, I'm excited to talk about this. Cause for me personally, with me, and I get this for so many people, I shared like an example that, with my dad beating the shit out of me when I was real young, I'm wetting the bed at the age 13, 14, which is not normal, mm-hmm. but I didn't know it was that. Mm-hmm. So I felt that if I started talking about that and that's happening, some other kids would be like, oh, wait a minute, this, and it's helped a lot of parents to like, I'm doing that to my kid now to stop, right? But you now coming on with social media, with a show, and with all this stuff, man. How has that helped you? Were you like, I'm born for this? Did you adjust? How did you feel about that?
0: I mean, there's multiple ways to think about this. Uh, One is if you talk to uh, me uh, my wife, my brothers, like people around us, like maybe we should be a little bit more strategic about some of the things that we do. Because <laughs> uh, I mean, there's definitely times where, like, myself, one of my brothers, whatever, like, just tweet something and then, like, immediately, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, if you tweet, hit the tweet button, then you get a phone call immediately. Right, we all got notifications turned on for you other. Like, yo, yeah, hey, yo, yeah. hey, what you good over there? Right, and so like, there, there's not a lot of strategy that goes into that type of kind of like offhand stuff. Right, um, but there's a ton of strategy that goes into like the more thoughtful content. Um, and you know, the number one golden rule of Twitter is like the dumbest content goes the most viral. Right. So like, you tweet something stupid, it's going. going. You spend three hours trying to craft the perfect tweet, and it' a uh, dud. Right? right. And so like, you just got to kind of say like, hey, that's the internet. That's the algorithm. Um, but in terms of uh, also like thinking through all this stuff, it is wild to me. I can have a TV show with this. Yeah. Like I could literally compete with ESPN, Yeah. with CNBC, with all these people, like yo. They fucked up. Like they shouldn't have let us have phones, right? Right. Like when you think of it from that perspective, it's like, man, that's pretty powerful. Now, what do you do? How serious do you take it? What's the end goal? Like, like there's a lot of nuance in there, Um, and there's a downside. There's a huge downside to it, right? Right. So, um, you know, there's uh, a bunch of things that I used to do, and over time, I realized where the downsides were, and I pulled back. I don't talk about certain things online, right? And most people, they don't talk about politics. I don't give a shit about that stuff. But, like, I don't talk about, like, super personal things. Right. Because it just, there's no upside to it, right? Um, I don't tweet photos from places that I am while I'm still there.
1: That's smart, obviously. Right?
0: Because it's just, like, a a physical security thing. Like, you, like, come up with all these, like, little tiny things here and there, which is, like, what makes you comfortable? Right. At the same time, though, like... I have met more people on the internet that are super high quality than I would have met anywhere else. Absolutely. And now what I realize is I have this like immense leverage. I think it's a Naval has this idea of like capital code or media or the three like leverages that you can use in the in the digital age. And so I don't think I ever understood uh, the leverage that media provides until I started to build a lot of companies and do all this stuff. And then I would get on the phone with somebody and they're like, bro, I know you. Like, I. I, uh, hello right like, right, like who right, are right. you and like no dude you don't understand that. for five years i've been following you i know everything about your life right oh shit okay little weird same time super powerful and so what you realize is, is one to this, like it's like one to many communication, and you get this leverage. And so you want to use the tools. Right? I don't think it makes sense, like, I'm gonna get off the internet and not use a right. phone, like, be right. a monk. But at the same time, you just want to do it for the right reasons. Right. And so one of the the trajectories a lot of people go through when they're getting onto the internet, right, whatever that means today, is like if you're doing it for the likes, that's the dopamine hit in in the early days. Got it. Eventually, you hit a tipping point. Like that shit don't matter. Right. Now it's easy to say we got a lot of followers, a lot of you know engagement, and like all this stuff. But like you just begin to realize, like my life is not any better if I get you know ten more followers or whatever. Instead, what you start to realize is like, no, I would actually take a smaller audience to have the right audience, to right. Have the people I want to engage with, because the bigger the audience gets. The percentage of trolls gets bigger, too. Yes. Right? Yes. The, you know, you, the, the scrutiny gets bigger, like all these things. And so if you go and you talk to a lot of folks who have their real names and their real identities online, and you said to them, you can have the same exact success that you have today, but you could have done it pseudonymously, I think most of them would say they'd do it pseudonymously. But it's hard to run that experiment. Dude, right? it's like
1: those players, are certain players, the athletes that we know that were good, but they could walk down the street and nobody bothers them. Yes. And there's other ones that can't go take two steps because it's, so it's exactly what you said there. Our boy uh, Dave Porn is coming back with DDTG, mm-hmm. Davey Day Trader Globe. I think it starts March 1st, man. What do you think of of, of that? That's hilarious. That's funny. What's your take on, uh, on DDTG coming back?
0: I don't know anything about that specifically coming back. But uh, during the pandemic, when Dave was trading stocks, uh, I loved it, right? I mean, to... One of the beautiful things about uh, art and about media is uh, you're trying to break through the noise, right? You're trying to stand out. You're trying to kind of cut through all the nonsense. And one of the things he kept saying over and over and over again was stocks only go up. And now, by the way, Warren Buffett says the same thing. And so does all these other people. Now they're talking about 30, 40, 50 year timeframes, right? right. right? He was talking about like, no, literally just always goes up. (laughs) Now, if he had said stocks always go up when they're printing money, I don't think anyone would have had a problem with it. But again, is it all about having the pinpoint accuracy and fine print, or is it about getting your message through, right? And so I remember two specific moments. He went on CNBC, had a cigar in his mouth, and he was like, I'm the king of Wall Street. And people in the legacy uh, financial world, where they were literally like steam coming out of their ears, right? And they were like, well, who is this guy? What does he think he's doing? Whatever, whatever. But it was like, no, you don't understand. Literally, this guy just showed up and he's making a ton of money. Right. Because he understands something that you all won't admit. Right. You all still think that you're some genius because you're picking stocks. He's literally like, just get long and loud when they're printing money. Yeah. And he was right. Yeah. The second thing was he was picking the letters of, of out of the, that was of the scrabble. The best. Bag. That was the best. Right? And like, you know, I, I did a podcast with him. He was like, <laughs> they didn't see me coming. Like, no shit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like you're literally taking random Scrabble letters out of a bag and buying tickers. Yeah. But again, it, it, it was a perfect way to articulate or visualize this thing he was saying, which was like, these people are printing money and stocks will just continue to go up until they stop. Right now, if you look at it, he walked away pretty much when he should have. Right. Right. And so like the return, that's it. I mean, look, the guy's a good market timer. He's coming back pretty much after everything drew down. Smart, smart dude. It's pretty easy if you get out at the top and come back at the bottom. That's how you do it, that's how you do it. (laughs) You come back when the team's stacked. If not, you take the year off. Now, the one thing I will say is in 2016, I think it was, I wrote a blog post about Barstool. They had raised uh, a little bit of money from uh, Peter Chernin and the Chernin Group uh, at a $15 million valuation. And people thought I was nuts for this. But I wrote this thing, I said, it's gonna be a billion dollar company. Everyone was like, "Ah, it's crazy, whatever. Now, again, fortunate, I was in college right when they were hitting in, in the northeast, right, and kind of you could see you, how, and you understood how the crazy yeah. the audience was, the blackout tour. They yeah. would come to the campus, and people would go nuts and, like, all this stuff, right? So you knew the engagement was real, the fan base was real, like all this. Uh, and it was very clear, and even Dave would say, like, right there was checks laying around the office that were uncashed. Like he was like, I'm not the business guy, like I'm definitely the content guy. And so they were bringing in professional help to to come in and do that. And so as they were doing it, I said, look, if they execute this plan where they bring on other talent other than just Dave, if they go into other verticals than just this like hardcore sports angle, if they can professionalize it with an executive team, if they can do all this, like it's gonna be a billion dollar company. Now I think it ended up being $650 million, but I ended that piece and I was like, as long as Dave doesn't sell too early. Right. And so, like, that's the one thing. I I love Dave to death. I think he's literally probably uh, the media pioneer of this entire generation. People hate that. Like, they hate that guy, right? They want to yell and scream at him. The mob wants to come after him, whatever. But, like, name somebody else who has stood there when the mob's coming at him and he's just been like, I'll talk about
1: no, it. No, and spitting facts left and right. Okay, right? let's talk about it. Yeah,
0: and I think he'd be the first person to say like he's not always right. right. All these companies, right? All these kind of new age digital media companies. There's YouTubers. There, there's things like Barstool Sports. There's even like The Ringer or whatever. Right. When you look at them, like it's just a level of authenticity that you can't get on television or you couldn't get in the newspaper or the magazines. Because now what happens is you're giving the talent the direct communication to the audience. There is no producer sitting there saying like, oh, don't say that. Or yeah. here's the talking points. Or here's this like i mean i don't remember if you remember during the pandemic like dave was doing like the unboxings
1: that was the best that was the best I mean,
0: you are a star if you can turn the camera on and for three to four hours hold people's attention and open up boxes of packages.
1: Yeah, yeah, the best. You're a star, The best. right?
0: And so when you see that, you have to say to yourself, like, whatever critiques you want of people, all this stuff, like, that is the new media world, is the stars don't want to be on television anymore. They want to have a phone or a camera in their face, and they want to just say, just film me. I'll take care of it. And that's what we see. And now there's all these viral stars all over the place and stuff. Right. And what you realize is when you democratize it, actually the internet's better at finding the stars than the producers or the bookers were at putting people on television. And yes. so game on. Now it's a free market. Let's see who's good.
1: Dude, I, I can't agree with you more. You now with your show, right? How because now you went from talent to interviewer and stuff like that. How's talk to me about your process as an interviewer, as a podcaster? How do you think about that, or like your prep for that versus when you go on, when you've been on podcasts before? Are you like, oh my god, this shit sucks. What prep?
0: What prep did we do today?
1: Me and you. Yeah. No, I did prep for you. You, you, you may have done prep. No, no, no. Now we're coming out. You don't know we coming out. We didn't.
0: We didn't talk. We didn't do anything. No, right. Me and nice you were stuff. like ESP. Where so we were usually, today. no. Usually, when I come in to do an interview, I lit- I, I know who the person is. Right. I invite right. them on the podcast, whatever. Uh, and right before the interview, I say, Hey, what would be helpful for you? What, what would be, uh, you know, what do you want to talk about? And they'll say like, oh, you know, I got a new book coming out or I got this or whatever. Right. That's the only guidance. Nice. I almost never have notes, right? And I just shoot, because I, I, I'm genuinely curious. Right. And you know, if there's sometimes where like it's a really big guest or somebody who's like very complicated in the sense of they have a lot of controversy and I want to make sure I get the details right. Um, or they got a lot of stuff going on and I want to make sure I don't get done with the interview. Like, oh damn, I should have asked him about yeah, this. Yeah. I might have some bullet points or something, but for the most part, like I just sit down yeah, and I talk I with people. That's what
1: I do. Like I have certain stuff there, but it's just, I get so excited that I that, I don't, forget. that I don't want to forget, yes. you know?
0: So I, I think that uh, there's um, two types of conversations you can have. There's like the very like planned conversation and then there's the like more genuine uh, curious conversation. Uh, the problem with most business people is they're very polished. And right. so what ends up happening is they're like media trained, whether uh, you know, formally or not. And so it's very hard to get them to have an interesting conversation because they just want to keep sticking to their talking points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so what you end up finding is you can do one of two things. You can have a genuine, curious conversation where there's uh, this like level of humanity to it. And they realize, oh, he really cares about this. He wants to learn. And they kind of open up or you can do what uh, my buddy Sam Parr does, which is like in the middle of the interview, you just blur it out like, how much money is in your bank account? <laughs> right. That's or you just throw them off. You, well, just not even to throw them off. Just like you just ask questions and mm. no one else would ask. Right. Right. And then if they don't want to answer, they're like, oh, I don't want to answer that. Right. But they also may be like, uh, you know, two million dollars. And then you're like, holy shit.
1: He answered it. <laughs> like he answered it. And
0: so um, I, I always think about as the interviewer. If the conversation is good it's because the interviewer asks good questions right. if the conversation is not good it's the interviewer's fault it's not the, the yeah, person. no never the interview. person yeah, yeah, yeah right and so uh, my wife and i talk about it a lot maybe even her idea uh, of like the quality of the conversation is driven by the quality of the questions and therefore when we have like dinners and stuff with friends like again no chit chat it's like hey let's talk about things that are actually meaningful that we enjoy talking about that, that we're going to learn from each other like all this stuff and so when you go into it with that mindset I joke with the, the couple that we have dinner with every weekend. I'm like, yo, we, we should send notes to each other beforehand, Almost like an agenda. Yeah. We got to talk about this, 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 and this. You
1: would do that, huh? You
0: would <laughs> be 100% over text. Like, it's like, yo, let's make sure we talk about these three things. So we're uh, prepared.
1: Tonight. So we're prepared. And, and I like, like that.
0: Some people are like, dude, like, just chill out. Right. I'm like, no, no, you don't understand. You go and on Sunday, you're watching football with your friends and like drinking beer and stuff. I went with my friends and we had this like intellectual war and talked about all these ideas. And sometimes we agree wholeheartedly. And other times I'm like, yo, you're a moron, right? Here's why. Right. And everything in between. And like, that's the beauty of these uh, conversations is like, you want to surround yourself with people who not only are smart, uh, who not only are like introspective, but also are willing to have the conversation. Yes, that's important. Because a lot of people are just like, they want to dance.
1: You got to dance, you know, not shut it off and do it there. How do you pick your guests, man? Is it stuff people you like? Some you see, like, oh, I like that person's thing. How do you do that?
0: People I want to talk to. People I want to talk to. Yeah, I mean, it's the greatest excuse ever to get people to come talk to you. Yeah. Right? Is uh, I'll message somebody and I'll say, hey, I got this podcast. It basically, it's a trade. I don't, I don't position it that way, but it's a trade. Come talk to me and let me learn right. from you, and then I'll blast the conversation out to all these people. Right? And so, in some way, like, come on my podcast. It's become a, a known thing. You know, right, explain right, it. right. Um, but yeah, it's just like, who am I interested in talking to? And there's a balance. Like sometimes we know we're going to interview a guest that the audience isn't going to care about, but I want to talk to him. And every once in a while you do that interview and next thing you know, it explodes because the audience is like, yo, I didn't know you, you knew this person or I didn't know you were interested in this topic, but I'm interested as well. And so I try not to think too much about like how the audience is going to receive it. And I just try to think about, like, are you an interesting person? Can we have an interesting conversation? And is it something that, like, I want to talk about for a long period of time? Then I'll, I'll do it. Um, and then we just don't take that many inbound.
1: Dude, I, I love that. I After you, I think I'm going to have the the top fertility doctor mm. who's uh, who I worked with as kids. Great dude. Because that kind of stuff, stuff that happens to me that I think can help people, I love doing that also, yep. you know. That's why, bro, I love having a guy like you on because you're one of the few guys that, that I've experienced in the short amount of time that I've known you that has said something and has followed through with it <laughs> which to me that is huge man because I think people out here are like in fucking Disney World bro they these hocus pocus they're, they're saying shit that they don't follow through dude two last questions man
0: Uh, can i say something on that topic real quick there's a video that's going viral right now that i think is the perfect epitome of this idea um there's a uh, a navy seal his name's uh chad man i think or chad something um and he's got like long hair a beard i've interviewed him on the show i know him okay all right so chad
1: with or something like that he's a runner with a real long beard yeah yeah, i've had him on
0: he um uh, he's got this video he's doing an interview recently and he said uh he was the breacher in uh in the seal teams and so basically what the breacher does is they uh they build a uh explosive to breach a wall or a door when they're going to go on a raid right so hey there's a guy in there we want to capture well we got to get into the building Mm -hmm. and obviously they're not going to like knock and open the door right so you got to uh bust into the building and so what he does is he's the first man in uh that mission to get up there and, and kind of patrolling in he's the point guy because he's the one with the explosives so he's gonna be the first guy to get that door he basically slaps it on there right and then he turns and before chaos kicks off, usually it's pretty peaceful, it's in the you know, dark at night, people are sleeping, like an element of surprise, all this stuff, is there's three words that you say. Execute, execute, execute. And on that third one, you freaking pull that thing and game on. Bullets start flying, explosions, like, like we're here to do a job. And so what I think a lot about is uh, in the military, I talk about violence of action. And, um, the, the way he describes it is like those three words people should, should take to heart, execute, 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 right? How many people are dreamers or thinkers or, you know, doing all this other stuff and like, oh, I should do this. I should do this. Or I wish one day or that, like, just go do the shit right and so if you always have that execution mindset like you will make mistakes and sometimes you'll execute when maybe you should have planned a little more but you'd rather miss to ha- having the you know kind of propensity of action than to miss on the planning side and so i just think all the time now, ever since i saw that video i was like man execute execute yeah, execute yeah. just keeps you going
1: he's he's interesting dude he uh he does running and, and he's he's awesome because he runs and outruns everybody but he does it like in regular clothes
0: you know, like bro, if you're if you're a Navy SEAL <laughs> breach man and you're on the point of the patrol, you ain't exactly going to just retire and sh- sit in a recliner. Like these people <laughs> it's just it's
1: just crazy, bro. He is crazy. You have a big event coming up. Talk about that. Yes.
0: Uh, oh, uh, Lyceum Miami. So on March 4th in Miami Beach, um, I basically just went and got a bunch of people who've been on the podcast before, a couple uh, special guests. Um, the OnlyFans thing's making a lot
1: of noise. That's a good move, bro. I like yeah.
0: that. So, uh, yes. So we have uh, a bunch of investors, <laughs> business owners, like people who I think most folks would say, hey, this this is uh, what I would expect. These are people I've seen on the podcast. or some of the more popular episodes, right. things like that. Uh, and then we have uh, four of... The top earner adult stars uh, nice. in history um, that are coming on. I don't know exactly where they rank, but maybe they're like for the top 50. Or right, more. right. Uh, two of them are probably top 10. And what a lot of people don't realize is these are people who have built companies, who have investment portfolios, etc. And so I was thinking to myself, I'm like, how can I find someone who is completely outside of like the traditional? But business it's what and you talked about, community? remember
1: being outside the box, correct?
0: And uh, and surprise people with intelligence, results, all these different things. And like really hammer home the point, like entrepreneurs and investors can come from any walk of life. And so uh, one of the, uh, the people, the uh, the guy on the panel is actually uh, a friend of mine from in my early 20s, before he went and did all this no stuff. Way. And so I was talking to him and he's like, dude, like there's no better industry of people who think that like they don't have any business or, or investment acumen and he knows the top folks. And so we put the panel together and look, I, I know when we announced it, that some people weren't going to be excited uh, and all of that, but like the fact that some people weren't going to like it was even it more reason good. to do it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and so, that. uh, I always say don't like, don't judge the book by its cover. Come listen to the conversation. After you listen to the conversation, if you think they're idiots and we shouldn't have done it, tell us. But before then I love that pop like favorite,
1: favorite type of music. You mentioned Lil oh, little Wayne rap rap rap? Music, Who rap. Yeah. Who do you like the best?
0: Jay Z is probably my favorite. Uh You have a favorite Jay Z song? Anything that comes to mind? <laughs> nah. I, you, you, uh, I would say that um the most recent thing he's put out that I really liked was not even his song, but uh, DJ Khaled's God Did. Jay-Z's got a whole verse on there. I probably listened to that like a thousand times. Really? Uh, right. Yeah. I like um, I like a lot of his earlier stuff when it was a little bit less mainstream. Right. And he was kind of right. a little bit more raw. Um, I Lil Wayne uh, grew up listening to a ton of his stuff. Um, and then th- there's, uh, there's like certain songs, like I think Macklemore uh has done a fantastic job He doesn't get the respect that he uh, deserves yeah because he goes
1: a little funny and stuff yeah. like that
0: um and then there's this guy uh he, he's gonna laugh that uh, that i mentioned him. but there's this guy mike stud uh who played baseball player, yeah so uh he um uh i think he goes uh just mike just or, mike or, or mike yeah just it mike just yeah mike just like yeah, are like it's just mike And uh, I uh, I love his stuff for three reasons. One, uh, I've trained my daughter. I turn it on, she starts dancing. She loves it, right? So, like, okay, cool, we're good there. Two is I actually enjoy the music. It's kind of uh, uh, very um, uplifting and positive and all that kind of stuff. But the third thing is uh, he's innovating around the business model of music. So it's a lot of subscription. Um, It's a lot of uh, he goes direct. Uh, He records all of the music wherever he is. So if he's in Airbnb, if he's at home, if he's in a hotel room, whatever, he brings basically the ability to record there. I that. And he doesn't go to the studio. He's just like, yo, when creativity strikes, Let's I go. fucking record, yeah, right? Yeah. And then he'll put out songs. Like, he may just drop a random song. He doesn't have necessarily, like, here's an entire album. I put it together. I've got a label. We're going to put it out. Like, do all... No, he's just like yo i'm going straight to the fans and then you look and he sells out his concerts and shows and he's just building this whole movement of people and it's this magical thing of like you gotta have somebody who's talented you gotta have somebody who understands the internet and kind of the digital tools and right, that stuff. right but you also got to have somebody who's willing to take risk and he was willing to do this before pretty much anybody else was willing to do it and it's working and now i think other artists are going to start, being like, start yo, doing that I want to do that, I want to bet on myself, yeah, I want to have the direct connection, that's way more powerful over the long run than working with the label. Which is
1: what the comedians are doing, our boy Andrew Schultz did the same thing with YouTube Correct. and all that stuff, which is, which is amazing I do the same thing with my speaking too, like like what you said, I literally all ask a person well you book me to speak, perfect, give me any points, whatever, and then I just go, I don't have notes or anything, yes, I just go yes, yes. right from the heart so it seems more natural, you know, that you don't have to like read off of it and stuff like that. Pump, you're the guy, man I am so grateful you took the time to do this, dude, you're a man of your word I, I'm, I'm I'm such a fan of yours and any help I can be. I always ask the guests at the end, man. One question for me. Anything I can help you with? One question.
0: One question. Do you know the uh, cheat code in uh, Ken Griffey Baseball and Sega Genesis or Nintendo 64? No, but no I know Nintendo 64? I didn't play. I didn't have. Here's my oh, story I video then, Dude, you destroyed, <laughs> me. You, destroyed me. you destroyed me.
1: I do know. That this is before your time. How about this? Do you know? Nobody in this room is going to know this. Do you know up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B-A-B-A, select, start, select, start? Do you know that?
0: I don't know what that one specifically is, but that's basically a-, a That's yeah, Contra. Cor- that's uh, Contra, which is an old Nintendo game. Yeah, kind of yeah. like
1: Mike Tyson was 007, that was a code. The
0: first game we ever had was um, uh, the duck shooting game in duck Hunt. Uh, Nintendo, du- Duck Hunt. Yeah, with a little gun or whatever. So I skipped
1: all that because my my dad didn't believe in any of that, so yeah, yeah. I had to go to my neighbor's house to do that,
0: but. Yeah, we had that, then we had Sega Genesis, and we had like two games. Uh, Shinobi
1: was the big Sega Genesis game, I was the, the Chinese, the. The Ninja guy.
0: Yeah. That yeah, was we, weird. Were, we were obsessed with those. And then uh, Nintendo 64, I remember my brothers and I, we were literally getting fist fights over uh, uh, Ken Griffey Jr. Baseball. That was the thing, huh?
1: The Ken Griffey Jr. Baseball. Yeah. Do you still play cause video games could, now?
0: Because we had the uh, cheat codes. We would go on the You internet. still play now or no? Nah, I don't really play you
1: have that much time for anymore. That, huh?
0: if, if I've thought multiple times about getting uh, some sort of video game system for the office, but literally I would do no work and neither would anybody else. So we're going to keep that out of Dude,
1: here. I agree with that. That's like putting like... <laughs> these a, guys are all laughing. They're like, that, yo, man, that sounds awesome. <laughs> that's like these D1 programs that have like ping pong thing in the thing. And, yeah. Oh, that's distraction, bro. We got to uh, attack.
0: In, uh, in college, we had a locker room. We had a weight room, and we had the showers, and we had the uh, medical area. And dude, you gotta it. see now. You gotta see. You see the locker rooms now? Yeah, well, I see the videos.
1: It yeah. is crazy, Pump. You're the man, dude. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me here.
0: Absolutely. Thank you.